by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. So that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace. Now the question had been asked, you know, he, he had been discussing God's grace. How Jesus became one of us and bore our sin debt, paid our price on, on the cross. How, how, what an act of grace. How he had, had given us new life. He had pulled us out of that miry clay, set our feet on a rock, and showed us grace, favor, mercy. And he was talking about, you know, well, when we sin, we see that God's, we see God's grace all the more because God forgives us. And he always gives us a way back, right? And we see and we recognize how good he is to us over and over and over again. And so then he asked the question, he says, he's heard a lot of people saying this, well, if our sin just reflects how good God is, well, then we should just sin more then, right? Well, he answers that. He says, of course not. (laughs) That's silly. Come on. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, We joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Say new lives. In light of what Jesus has done, are we going to continue to sin? Are we going to continue to dig up that old man that we buried with Christ in baptism? Are we going to live in the new life, standing on that rock, the life that Jesus provided for us? Are we going to walk in the new thing, or are we going to continually be anchored to the death that he brought us out of? Today's message is entitled, New Life. If you're writing that down, you're following along in your bulletins. Did anybody look at those bulletins? Should I just stop uh, making them up? Or do they help anybody? You like them? Does anybody look at the announcements on the back? Do you put them on your refrigerator so that you can remember them during the week? (laughs) We need to live the new life. You see... I remember when I was probably 13 or 14 years old, I was living in Whitehaven, and I was in my warm, comfortable house one January afternoon, sitting on my warm couch, probably had a blanket, and it was a thunderstorm going on on the outside. I mean, it was belching enough rain to float a Buick. I mean, it was just really coming down. And the 
And I looked out the window, and I could see just water rolling down the street. You know, the little drainage couldn't handle it all. It was just the streets were filling up. It was just really coming down hard, lightning and all that. And I heard a knock on my door. And I said, who in the world will be knocking on my door during this thunderstorm? It was my buddy Hal. He was my best friend at the time. You remember last week I told you I had three best friends in my life. And two of them were altar boys at this little Catholic church in Shaw, Mississippi. You remember me telling you that? Uh, one of them was my, my brother. Uh, I hadn't told you who the other one was. But, but two of them were altar boys and the other one, not so much. <laughs> you ever remember uh, feeling like you had an angel on one shoulder telling you to do good? encouraging you to do what's right, and then you had a little devil on the other shoulder saying, come with me. <laughs> well, Hal was the little devil on the shoulder. He, he was the other best friend that I had for a good period of my life. So he knocks on the door. He's about my age, 13 or 14. He says, come on out, man. I got something to show you. I said, dude, it's raining. It's cold out there. He says, come on. So I went with him, just like an idiot, <laughs> listening to that voice, right? Lightning striking all around. He took me around the corner down the street, and we got to this, this concrete drainage ditch that runs through the city. You know, there's a lot of them. You know, they're walled, and they got fences above them, and they go under the streets and stuff, and it carries the water. Well, this thing was raging with all this water. It was about six foot high, just... <laughs> And it was almost hitting the bottom of the, the bridge. He said, come on, man. Let's jump in. <laughs> I said, you crazy, man. I'm not getting in that thing. He said, what, you a chicken? Now, growing up in Whitehaven, them was fighting words. If you call somebody a chicken, you know, I was, I was about ready to open up a can on him, you know. pull out a knuckle sandwich but thankfully he said look over there man there's a log right there there was a log stuck in the eddy where the water was just churning up beside the going under the bridge he said we can get on that thing and float on down I said well I don't want to be a chicken so we jumped the little chain leak fence and we was holding on the other side, and I said, on the count of three, one, two, three, and we jumped in that draining, drainage ditch in January. <gasps> it was exhilarating. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like, yeah, now this is life. <laughs> it was crazy. Rushing water, cold lightning, rain, and we're in the middle of this drainage ditch and we're holding on to this log shivering. And he said, push us off. And I pushed us off. And when we did, we caught the current and whoop, sure enough, we popped right up underneath that bridge, bumping your head all boom, 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 just enough room to get under. We popped out the other side, just like Hal had told me we would. And it was, it was pretty fun. You know, my legs were numb, but it was pretty fun for a minute. And we went for probably a mile down that thing. We was pumping our head every time we'd go under a bridge and we'd come out, pop, pop out the other side, still going. And then, unceremoniously, the concrete ended. 
and it was just like a swamp, but it was like a raging swamp, and we were going through it, and it was, the water became nasty and muddy, and the banks were littered with old tires, and it looked snaky. I, I know it wasn't no snakes in the wintertime, thank goodness, but if it would have been summertime, and it slowed down, and we were just floating on this log, and it started to get dark, and there were eerie shadows, you know, uh, and I'm like, where are we going, you know? We're floating on this log, holding on with our frostbitten hands, and all of a sudden, something hit me in the back of the neck, and I reached around, and it was an old diaper wadded up. <laughs> and I threw that over. Then Hal's eyes got all big, and I looked to see what he was looking at, and it was an old washing machine bobbing by. <laughs> and we went another... 100 yards or so, and then our feet started dragging on the slimy bottom and limbs and no telling what was down there. It was just really, really nasty. And about that time, we were about to, what do you call it, thermal, hypothermia was about to set in. And, and we got, it shallowed out enough so that we could get our fit footing, and we walked over, and we climbed out on the muddy bank. We got and collapsed on the muddy bank, breathing like dragons, just smoke coming up, freezing, shivering. Boy, that was fun. That was, that was fun. You ever heard the saying, you're free to choose, but you're not free from the consequences of your choices? It's attributed to Zig Ziglar and about a hundred other people. But it's so true. You're free to choose to jump into the ditch. But you're not free from what's going to happen once you jump into the ditch. The consequences of your choice. Amen? You can regret jumping in the ditch, but you still end up wet and cold. You can, you can even have all the victims of your life forgive you of your sins, but still be sitting on death row. Isn't that true? God even can forgive. God will. He'll be the first one to forgive you if you ask. But there's still consequences. And it tells us in Galatians 6, 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. If you put some apple seeds in the ground, you're not expecting the oranges to come up. And if you're planting good seed in your life, you're expecting a good harvest. But if you're planting seeds of everybody's my enemy, you're, you hate God, you hate the world, you hate everybody, what's going to come back to you? And see, there's a word that really irks me, and I just want to clear this up for our church. People say, well, that's karma. That's not karma. Karma is a Hindu word. That's another religion. And that's something to do with their reincarnation. They come back different because of the way they lived before. We don't believe in that. Karma is not a Christian word. Stop saying that. What you're talking about when you use that word is the law of sowing and reaping, which is the Christian principle, which is the real deal which is God's law, the law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you're going to reap back. 
It's just that way in the natural, and it's that way in the spirit. God's not mocked about these things. He's, it's already a law. He placed into operation. So think about that. Every time you're being mean, rude, or all those things, you're planting rude seeds. And you're going to get back weeds. You're going to get back things in your life that you don't want. But what happens if you, on the other hand, plant good things? Press down, shaking together, and running over. Amen. You don't. You get more back than you. You put one seed in the ground. You get a whole stalk full of ears of corn. Whole bunch of seeds that you can plant again. It's just that way. Anybody ever remember when Flip Wilson made the statement, the devil made me do it? Everybody that just shook their head, you just told how old you are. These young people said, Flip who? <laughs> Flip Wilson, he had a comedy routine. and he, said, he would always say, the devil made me do it. But ever since he said that, people have been saying, well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> and we use that as an excuse for the decisions that we make. But I'm going to tell you, the devil will tempt you. The devil will lie to you. He will, he will make sin look so good to you. But ultimately, you make the decision. The devil didn't make you do anything. I'm telling you some good principles. All, we could leave right now and you would have helped. If you would apply those principles that you just learned, your whole life would change. I'm not just preaching. I'm trying to help you. What are some of the devil's biggest lies? Oh, well, I started thinking about some, you know, that, that I see or that I have dealt with. Okay, really all the ones I've dealt with. Okay, first, when you're young, the devil tries to tell you that life is not fun following God. That you, only, you have to sin to have fun. That God is this killjoy. He doesn't want you to have any fun. If you go to church, it's boring. If this is this, God's ways are not fun. But does that even make sense? That somebody who wants to kill, steal, and destroy you, his ways would be more fun than God's? What, what happens is you just, you, all you know is the devil's ways. You think you're having fun. You haven't experienced God's ways yet. I've been on both sides. I can tell you I would rather have God's results than the devil's. That is a lie. It's more fun being a Christian than it is being a son of the devil. He used to tell me I couldn't have fun unless I drank. If I didn't have a six-pack in the, in the cooler, fishing wasn't no fun. You know what I'm saying? You could, if you went to a party, oh, they don't even drink over there. We're not going to. That's a boring party. Right? And so, I mean, and look how many people get hooked on alcohol, get hooked on drugs. I mean, everything the devil does has got a hook. Right? Everything he does. What about sex? You got to try it before you buy it. Right? I mean, that's just, that's accepted in the world today. You, you got to try it out before you buy it, like something might be wrong with them. You don't know. I can tell you there ain't nothing wrong with them. 
That's a lie from the devil. That's not God's way. And, and there are those who have saved themselves for marriage and would tell you today that they are so happy that they did. And their wife or their husband would tell you, I'm so happy that they did. And there are many of us who would look back and say, man, I wish I could do it over. That was a lie from the devil. Uh, let's see, I wrote down, you must be cool. You got to fit in. The devil tells you, man, you, you got to compare yourselves with others. You got to be like them. You got to dress like them. You got to talk like them. You got to be cool. Cool is the thing. Cool don't mean nothing with God. Cool to God is you being the best version of you he created you to be. Not trying to be like somebody else. So we spend our lives trying to be like somebody else. And not being us. Until we lose sight of who we really are. And we do all the things we were never created to do. Um, the devil tells us it's easier to lie than tell the truth. Man, it's just, you know, it might hurt their feelings if you tell the truth. I mean, we're living in a society, nobody won't tell anybody the truth. We won't even tell our children the truth. We don't want to hurt their little feelings. We want to give everybody a trophy. Look, your little brother didn't even play on the team, but he came watch us. Let's give him a trophy, you know? Let's give everybody a trophy. There's no truth and no truth being spread in the world today. And we we lie so much that it becomes a lifestyle. We don't even trust our own selves. And it ruins our character, our integrity. People can't trust us. There's no faithfulness. Not even in the church. There's very little faithfulness these days. People just lie. Of course, pride. You know, we all deal with that, right? Pride was the original sin. Uh, especially, you know, that's prevalent in the church too because, hey, I'm saved now. I'm better than everybody else. I'm better than all those lost folks. Right? I can judge them. Because I'm better. That ain't the way God sees it. And then, of course, you got two big ones. Did God really say? That's what he, the devil sprung on Adam and Eve, the very first thing. Did God really say? Did God really say? And he challenges the word of God. You know, people take this thing and twist it. Not, not even caring about the heart of God that was put into this thing, but just how they can twist the letter of the word. The letter killeth, but the spirit bringeth life. The spirit behind this thing. You, you, put it, you see it all together as a love letter from God. You understand the character of the author, then you don't twist it like that. And you, you take his word for what it really is, the truth. And you don't question it. You know, some people have created their own religions. They go to a Christian church, but they believe the parts of the Bible that they want to believe that helps them fit in and be cool with the world. Whew. And then they say, the last lie I'm going to discuss, God understands. 
I know God understands. Turn to James chapter 1, verse 12. You know what I'm going to do? What I am endeavoring to do today, the hard part's over. You can take a deep breath. I am endeavoring today to preach a message about sin that doesn't condemn. I am preaching a message today that in a way that I'm talking about sin, but it, by the time we leave, I want you to feel the Spirit of God that's telling you there's a, that there's hope. That I don't want to sin. Not that I'm trying to hold on to my sin. Don't talk to me, Pastor. If you're shutting out right now, if you're c- cutting off because I'm talking about sin, don't. Because I'm not bringing a condemning message, and God doesn't condemn you. He convicts you, and conviction brings you out. Where did I say, James? God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? And see, there's a crown for those who love him and keep his commandments and patiently Endure testing and temptation. You know, testing and temptation come to us all, right? You're not the only one that the devil speaks into your ears and tries to lure you away from God. We all endure that. And remember, when you're being tempted, don't say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. You say, well, God is, he put me in this position. God tests you. But he doesn't tempt you. He's not the tempter. Temptation comes from your own desires. When that devil lies to you and tries to paint a picture of how good sin is, it's something on the inside of you called sin that tempts you. Temptation comes from our own desires. It's not even the devil. He's just lying and you're tempted because you have a sin nature. And it entices you and drags you away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, Katie, bar the door, it gives birth to death. What is sin? It's a three-letter word for death. That's all it is. Let's be clear about this. Sin is not fun. It's not cool. It's not something you get away with. The wages of sin is Death, and you always reap what you sow. God is not mocked. So if you think you're getting away with it, nobody knows I have this secret sin. God knows you're not getting away with it. Payday is coming. Run from it. Run from it. You don't need me to tell you what sin is. I I started to put a whole section in here and go through some lists in the Bible. There's plenty of lists about things that are sin or whatever. But you don't need me to tell you that. You already know what sin is in your life. Romans 14.23 says, everything not of faith is sin. That means if, if Jesus came back and you was in the middle of doing that, you wouldn't hang your head. Oh, oh, oh I'm sorry, Jesus. Here's Jesus is here. I'm, let me put this up. If you can't do it in faith, knowing that you're pleasing God, then for you it is sin. Every time we don't adhere to God's moral code written already on our hearts, 
We're sinning. You know what sin is. If you have to ask, do you, Pastor, you think it's, it would be sin if, I mean, she's, she's almost divorced and uh, she's already getting a divorce, Pastor. You know the answer to that. Yeah, but, but Pastor, God gave us marijuana. He grew it. But did he say roll it up and smoke it? <laughs> Look, it's, it's funny, but it's not. Because sin is at the root of everything wrong in the world. It's really not, it's not funny. It's at the heart of every hurt in your life. Every pain, every bit of sorrow that you have experienced in this life was not intended by God, but is the result of somebody else's or your sin in this world. All this yucky stuff, these hard times in this valley of the shadow of death that we're walking through is because of sin entered into this place that God created perfect in the beginning. It's the disease corrupting every good thing that God intended for us. Where would you be without sin in your life? Oh, you would be walking on the... The high places with God in the cool of the evening. You would have been enjoying everything he prepared for us. Sin is the cruel master that nearly destroyed most of us. It nearly destroyed me. It looked good. It felt good for a minute. Till I bit into that hook. And the good news is that even though the devil reeled us in, Jesus cut us loose. Jesus cut us loose. We don't have to be in the devil's boat any longer. The sin debt was paid. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, but it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That God's not up there counting our sins against us. The sin debt has been paid. And you can walk in forgiveness. And you don't have to go back into the ditch. You can stay on this side of the fence now. You can stay in your warm house of forgiveness. You don't have to be tempted to jump in the muddy ditch anymore. Why would a born-again Christian choose sin anyway? That is the craziest thing. I, we say, well, God understands. I don't think he does. I don't, I don't know how he understands. I know he knows what, what we do, and he knew that what we would do. But it's got to be crazy to him that he would bring us out of the pit and set our feet on a solid rock, put a robe of righteousness on our shoulders, a signet ring, put purpose on our feet, kill the fatted calf, party with us, give us a new direction and a, and a warm home to live in. 
And then we would go back to the pig pen. It's like, wow, I didn't see that coming. I know God saw it coming, but I'd be, I didn't see that coming. Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. He vomited it up in the first place. It must have not been good on his stomach. But you're going to lick it up again? That's what it's like going back to your sinful life after you've been set free. And today we see a hybrid form of Christianity that I don't think was ever intended. You mean... You're going to be lukewarm? What is that? Jesus said, I would rather you be cold. I'd rather you be hot, but I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. Lukewarm doesn't make sense. It makes me want to throw up. What is that? Slipping out of the warm house, back into the cold drainage ditch of sin to sneak a bite. From the diaper of forbidden fruit. <laughs> First Corinthians 3, verse 3. Apostle Paul's talking to the Corinthian crazies, and he says, For you are still carnal. Means fleshly. Means subject to the old, like the old man you were who was carnal. You, you only knew carnal. You didn't have the God spirit. He says, you're Christians, but you're still carnal. For while there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? I love that term, mere men. That implies that once the spirit of God comes on the inside of you, you're no longer just a mere man or just a mere mortal. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Stop living like mere people. You've been called higher. You've been given more. You're supposed to walk on a higher plane. You're supposed to set the example for all the other knuckleheads. In Romans 8, 19, it says, For the creation, or the earth, as we know it, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. They're like, this sin is causing all these phenomenons in the earth. It's creaking, it's groaning. It's like, where are those children of God that he promised? They're waiting for us to stand up and be counted. They're waiting for the children of God to rise out from among the things they've been delivered from. Where are the children of God? Will they please stand up? There are children of God who don't just want to bob along in life like a rusty old washing machine. You want more of God, not less. You don't want to fizzle out like a dollar store solar-powered flashlight. Are you a Christian? I can't tell. Is that light on at all? <laughs> Here, tap on it. <laughs> it don't have no batteries. Oh, you hadn't been standing in the sunshine. You hadn't been letting the sun shine on you. There's no power in you. 
See, there are Christians who keep their eyes on Jesus and they're focused on the cross. It drives them to think that their Lord would, would come down from his glory in heaven to be one of us and to suffer and to die in our place on the cross and to take, take our sins upon him. And it means something to their hearts that they're that loved. To think that when I sin after being a Christian, that, that now that I know that I'm knowingly putting sin on him because he took the sin of yesterday, today, and tomorrow on himself all at once on my cross. And that I would put that back on him after I've been set free. Focused on not just his cross, which inspires me, but I'm focused on the cross he's given me to bear. He says, take up your cross and follow me. I'm, I'm, I'm enriched, I'm enlarged with the purpose of God. I ain't got time for that old man and me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I've been set free from that. <laughs> Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. It says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your whole body. Like if you are a solar-powered flashlight, you know, this is, this is your solar thing here. This is what bringing the light in, right? What you put into your eyes is going to cause you to, to light your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. What are we watching? What are we, in, what are we infesting ourselves with? Are we keeping our eyes on Jesus? Are we looking at the things of this world and being dragged back down? Our light's not shining. He says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light shine. Look on good things. Let your eyes be filled with light. We're being overcome with darkness. We turn here and there's a billboard of a half-naked girl. We go into our pockets and there's all this stuff. Life wasters. But who is looking into the lamp for your feet? I didn't mean to preach this in See, Christians realize that sin always leads you away from your purpose. Have you ever been going on a trip, a long trip, and you've traveled a couple hundred miles, and you're supposed to take a ride up here, you think, and go another 60 miles before you make your next turn, and you turn, you're going south, and about 50 miles later, you realize that you're supposed to be going north. You ever done that? It's like, this, what? I was supposed to, I don't, I don't remember that being on the way. Wait a minute. And you pull over and you, oh, no. I have gone the wrong way. What do you have to do? You repent. 
That's what that's called, a 180-degree turn. You have to repent. You have to turn the other direction. But guess what? You got 50 more miles just to get back to where you started. And isn't that the longest 50 miles of your life? You were already getting tired on this long journey, and some of you have gone the wrong direction so many times, it's like, man, I just don't know if I can even get back to zero. And it's hard. But as you get older and you get wiser, you begin to think, well, you know what? I'm going to make sure I don't take any more wrong turns. Because I have learned my lesson. We should begin to learn our lesson about that long ride back to to where we started. Born again children of God need to be revealed in this earth and they need to stop jumping fences and they need to start building guardrails in their life rather. So they, 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 they don't go off into the ditch again. You know what I mean by guardrails? You know, you, you know better than to take yourself back to the bar. Well, I'm just going to witness to somebody, but you're a raging alcoholic. You know better than that. that set, set, hey, amen. Look, set guardrails in your life. You know your temptations. You know your buttons. Put things, so, well, I, I don't cross that. If I get to that, I bump back off into the middle of the road. You got to, you got to, see the devil, he's wise. He, he's tricked you for so many years, but you ought to know some of his devices by now. And you got to put guardrails in your life. Flee youthful lust. We're not kids anymore. Run from sexual sin. Feed your spirit and not your carnality. What do I mean by that? Well, somebody, some of us are just ruled by our, our belly. Natural brute beasts, the Bible says. We, we're only... We're only fed, we only feed what feels good to our flesh. But we, we need to put guardrails in our life, begin to read the word of God and feed our spirit man so our spirit man grows stronger than the flesh. And we're led by the spirit of God, not by our flesh. That's why we fast and, and, and read the word of God and come to church because you're feeding your spirit man. That's why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit Praying in an unknown tongue in your spiritual language. It says building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Praying in, an, in your unknown tongue. Your gift of speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, builds you up. It empowers you in the spirit. I pray in the unknown language all the time. Paul says I pray in tongues more than you all. He, built, he kept himself built up in the spirit. So when the flesh tried to rise up, he could slap that lid back down on that casting and say, no, you don't, dead man. I died to that. I've been raised anew with Christ now. I don't go back into those places. Mm. We refuse to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want to drag the Holy Spirit through the mud and the muck and the mire with us. We value his presence. We know that he, is, he never leaves us or never forsakes us. We can't just cut him off and say, you stand here while I go over here into this pornography land. No, no, no. He, he goes with you. And he's grieved. 
He's not an accomplice to, uh, what do you call it, an accomplice to your sin. He's the deliverer from your sin. We have to trust the Holy Spirit. I can tell you how not to try to overcome sin. Some of you say, what do I do, Pastor? What do I do? How do I overcome sin? It's not in a sense of religious duty. It's not because I said this and it made you feel bad. And I'm going to try a lot harder, Pastor. I'm going to do better. That's good that you want to do better and everything. But if you just do it in your own strength and you, and you do it, if I'm making you feel condemned, I don't mean to. I'm trying to help you want something different. You see, I don't remain true to Angie. I don't, I don't the way, I don't cheat on Angie because I'm scared she's going to whoop me. Although she would. I don't even not cheat on Angie because it's the right thing to do or whatever. I don't cheat on Angie because I love Angie. And the reason that I flee from youthful lust and run from sexual sin and do not get caught again into to the old past is because I love Jesus. It's, it's the power is in the love. Love is the most powerful force in the world. When you love somebody, you'll do anything for them. And Jesus said, don't say you love me and then not keep my commandments. You're lying. And the love of God is not in you. He's not saying that you're a terrible person, that you, you'll never change. He's saying you need to learn to love me. You need to meditate on the cross. You need to keep your eyes on me. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if you, uh, if, if you sin, confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Begin to live a lifestyle where when you do miss it, you just run back to him and you get forgiven again. And that grace begins to loom larger and larger in your life. And pretty soon you just want to live in the grace. Should we continue to sin? That grace can abound? Of course not. We want to live in the grace. It's in your relationship with Jesus Christ that you'll find everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that you need. It's in your love for him. Man, we've tried so hard in the flesh and our willpower will get us so far. But then the devil catches us unaware when we're, we're feeling good about ourselves and not paying attention and he draws us away. But if you're walking hand in hand with Jesus, you won't be drawn away. And so you say, well, what do I do? You, you keep coming to church. You don't just come once a month. Your light goes out between now and then. You don't just pray once a day. You pray all day. You, you pray continuously. You stir yourselves up, praying all the time. You read your word. You feed that inner man. You, think of, you keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. You continually press in to your love for him. Sin won't be an issue. But if you're just playing games and you're lukewarm, 
you will continually fall. And you've got to come out of lukewarm. You've got to choose this day whom you're going to serve. You've got to choose. Every day, get up and say, Lord, I'm going with you. Let's do this together. It's together. It's the walking with him that makes the difference. You can't just say, well, I'm going to be a better person. I tried that for 32 years. It never worked for me. But when Jesus became my Lord, I got saved and I understood and I kept my eyes on the cross. Then I was been able to overcome. Oh, Pastor, you saying you never sin? No, I'm saying, I, but if I do, I come running back real quick. I don't stay in it. It's in the relationship. Galatians 5, 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Yes, we, have, we, have, we still have a sinful nature, but we also have the Spirit of God, and we've got to choose each day which one we're going to follow. But those who love Jesus are, are going to take those sinful desires and passions of the old man and nail them to the cross where it says debt paid in full. Since we live in by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Is there a part in your life that you're not following God and that's, your, that's where your big sin is? Well, dedicate that part of your life back to God. Don't give the devil any part of your life. Just make, make a conscious decision. God, I, I surrender all. Not just pieces of me. I'm not playing that game where I'm the God of my own life and I pick and choose. I want to I claim to be a Christian, but I only want to obey certain scriptures. You're picking and choosing. No, it's either all true or none of it is. You can't determine what's right or what you want to follow in the Bible. It's all true or none of it is. And so give every part of your life over to God. Once we thought we were cool when we were rebels without a cause. You know, when you were a kid, you thought it was cool to get away with something. You said, God understands my sin. Yeah, he understands. <laughs> yeah, but God, he, he knows my heart. Yeah, he does. He says, the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You can't even know your own heart. God knows it. He's the only one that knows the, the, the capability within every human heart for depravity beyond our wildest imaginations. You think, you think Hitler grew up as a little kid thinking he was going to exterminate six million Jews? Or did he follow the deceitfulness of his own heart? All these mass murderers, they didn't just become like that they followed the, the deceitfulness of their own heart you can't follow your heart you follow the new spirit that God gives you the Holy Spirit you follow the word of God your heart will tell you it's okay to go out with that married woman because she's getting a divorce 
Because your heart's feeling a certain way. Our hearts may be here today, gone tomorrow. You don't know. You can't trust your emotions. You can't live by your emotions. You need a firmer foundation, and it is the Word of God. You've got to build your life on the other side of the fence. Not in the raging waters of sin. Reminds me of the end of that story. We were laying there about dead from hypothermia. <laughs> it was fully dark by now. We said, come on, man, we, we got to go. And up the, up the hill through a bunch of logs and all kind of stuff. It looked like a chain leak fence up there. We got to get up there. We didn't even know what neighborhood we're in, you know. Trying to claw our way and we'd slide back down the muddy hill. We claw, fingernails getting mud on. We grabbing roots, helping each other up. We finally got up there to that chain link fence. And just on the other side of that chain link fence was a manicured, beautiful yard. You could hear a dog barking off in the neighborhood somewhere. The warm glow of a light in the house. You could smell food. Nice, quiet, beautiful neighborhood. I can't tell you how bad I wanted to get over that fence. And how bad I wanted to get back to my beautiful, nice, warm house that God built me. The devil will tempt you to jump in that murky, cold water. It will be exciting and wild for a moment. It'll be thrilling. Sin always just, oh, it's, it's, we got to have that. But it always leads you down a path into the murky, wild, nasty, diaper-ridden, ugh gunk of life stay on this side of the fence walk in what God called you to walk in don't be entangled in the affairs of this life this life is short man we can do it if we keep our eyes on Jesus there's no limit to what God can do through those who will keep their eyes focused on him and not being trapped and ensnared and having to come back. Oh, uh, how, many, how, how far did you go this time? 75 miles wrong way. What? Holler at me when you get back. All right. The good news is, right now starts right now. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.